Hello. Uh, once again, history and prophecy dominate our broadcast today on Search for Truth. This is your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Today, Brian brings us talk number eight in our series of studies from the book of Daniel in the Bible. And Brian's not only looking at the predictions surrounding the rise and fall of world empires, he also mentions some of the important people of world history who helped bring about those changes which are indicated in Daniel chapter 8. And that's where the readings are taken from today. So let's see what Brian has in store for us now. Thanks, John. We've previously seen that chapter 7 of Daniel contains much that's relevant for today and the time to come. By contrast, chapter 8 gives us more detail of a section of the same prophecy which has by now been fulfilled historically. Horns, taken as symbols of power, are common to both chapters, where they represent powerful human leaders who dominate the earth. But there's a difference, which if not observed, causes confusion. The principal horn in chapter 7 is associated with the end time of the fourth empire, and so points directly to the Antichrist. However, in chapter 8, which we come to now, the notable horn is identified with the third empire and is a detailed pen portrait of a notorious historical character of the second century BC. His actions, however, serve as a sinister foreshadowing of the even more malevolent conduct of a future world leader known as the Antichrist. This is especially so when we consider his treatment of the state of Israel. Well, let's take a look with Daniel at his follow-up vision. It's in chapter 8, as we've heard, starting from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision... And I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram butting westward, northward, and southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased and magnified himself. If I might just interject and help us along there, what I'm now going to say will be confirmed later in the text itself, but you should at this point understand that the two-horned ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medes and the Persians were never equal partners, hence the horns of different length. The Persians rose to power later and overshadowed the Medes. Now, wait for a moment, for here come the Greeks. While I was observing... Daniel says, Behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. That horn would turn out to be Alexander the Great of history. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. 
We are told later about the effect of the vision on Daniel. But what about its effect on you? There's probably a little confusion, so let's try to help unpack it. Alexander the Great, he's the the large or prominent horn mentioned in verse 5. Alexander the Great came from the west with a small but fast army. He was enraged at the Persians. Remember, they were depicted in the ram. Alexander the Great was enraged at the Persians for having twice invaded Greece, and he was determined to follow the ambition of his father, Philip II of Macedon, which was to punish the Persians on their own ground. He quickly conquered Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt and Mesopotamia just in a few years, beginning in 334 BC. The Persians were helpless to resist him, but Alexander would die possibly of malaria and the complications of alcoholism, he would die in 323 BC at the age of 32 in Babylon. As it says in the scriptures, at the height of his power he was cut off, verse 8. Alexander had no son to succeed him, so his empire was split among his four generals, represented here by the four horns. Two of those generals are of particular interest to us. They are Ptolemy and Seleucus. To Ptolemy was given Egypt and parts of Asia Minor, while Seleucus received Syria, Israel and Mesopotamia. Let's return to the words spoken to Daniel concerning those four generals who followed on from Alexander the Great. Out of one of them, that is, out of one of the four horns representing the four generals who succeeded Alexander, out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south toward the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth and it trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn, along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Daniel is then given help in understanding the vision, for which we too are grateful. It begins with a little recap, so I hope it will also be helpful for us. So reading from verse 20 of chapter 8, The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king, Alexander the Great. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people, and through his shrewdness he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. So what's that saying? From among the four horns, that is, the four generals of the divided Greek empire, there would arise, Gabriel said, a severe and cunning king. He'd be a powerful ruler who would devastate property and destroy people in order to expand his kingdom. The holy people, the nation of Israel, 
would be his special target. His rise to power was not to be his own doing, and equally his downfall was not by human means. This particular man, whom we'll identify shortly, died insane in Persia in 163 BC. What we're now seeing here is that this part of the vision anticipated the rise of a ruler from within the Greek Empire who'd come to subjugate Israel, desecrate her temple, interrupt her worship and demand for himself the authority and worship that belongs only to God. The ruler being referred to here is known to history as Antiochus IV Epiphanes. After murdering his brother, who'd inherited the throne in the Seleucid dynasty, he came to power in 175 BC. Five years later, Ptolemy VI of Egypt tried to regain territory which was then ruled over by Antiochus. In response, Antiochus invaded Egypt and defeated Ptolemy VI and even proclaimed himself king in Egypt. This was his growth in power toward the south that we read about in verse 9. On his return from this conquest, trouble broke out in Jerusalem, so he decided to subdue Jerusalem, which is the beautiful land described in verse 9. The people were subjugated, the temple desecrated, and the temple treasury plundered. From this conquest, Antiochus returned to Egypt in 168 BC, but he was forced out by Rome. On his return, he decided he'd make the land of Israel a buffer zone between himself and Egypt. So he attacked and burned Jerusalem, killing lots of people. The Jews were forbidden to keep the Sabbath, they were forbidden to keep their annual feasts and their traditional sacrifices, nor were they allowed to circumcise their children. Altars to idols were set up in Jerusalem, and on December the 16th, in 167 BC, the Jews were ordered to offer unclean sacrifices and to eat swine's flesh or be put to death. For how long would this harsh treatment of the Jews be permitted, you may be wondering? Daniel chapter 8 again supplies the answer. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply, while the transgression causes horror, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? He said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. That reference to evenings and mornings may be to the daily evening and morning sacrifices in Israel, which were interrupted by Antiochus' desecration. With two sacrifices made daily, the 2,300 offerings would cover just over three years, which is the time from Antiochus' desecration of the temple to the refurbishing and restoring of the temple by Judas Maccabeus when all the Jewish sacrifices were fully restored. So what we've seen is that Daniel chapter 8 reveals Israel's history under the Seleucids and particularly under Antiochus during the time of Greek domination. But it also points forward to give an indication of what will be Israel's experiences under the Antichrist, whom Antiochus foreshadows. From Antiochus, we can learn more about the coming desecrator. He'll achieve great power by subduing others. He'll rise to power by promising false security. He'll be intelligent and persuasive. He'll be controlled by another, that is, by Satan. He'll be an adversary of Israel, and he'll subjugate Israel to his authority. 
He'll rise up in opposition to the Prince of Princes, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and his rule will be brought to an end by divine intervention. If you're a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be glad to know that he'll have come to take us away before this coming time of distress for Israel. Daniel Decoded contains the script for this series and it's a reminder of all that's been said in the talks. It's very helpful and it's free. So you can download many of our books and talks via the internet as well. But the free hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Daniel Decoded. You can order by email or by post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY. That's SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into e-books and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle hyphen ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find the many titles now that are available uh, to obtain. Now, unfortunately, that's all we have for today. Next week, Brian looks into Daniel chapter 9 and some more history and prophecy. It promises to be very interesting, so do join us if you can. But for now, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. Jesus.